Hello, listeners, and welcome to the second week of the Always Drive podcast. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I'm so happy to have you back for another look at the past week's car and truck industry news. We are coming to you on a Friday this week. I'm usually going to try to have the podcast out on Thursdays, but there's a very good reason I didn't have this podcast up on a Thursday this week, because I spent all of last night with my wife buying her a brand new car. So she's been driving around a 2003 Honda Civic with about 216,000 miles on the clock. And, you know, about that time, it's just time for an upgrade. And we managed to find a really awesome 2014 Ford Fusion Energy, which is the plug-in hybrid model. Uh, She works at a place where you can plug in during the day. She can plug in while she's at home and basically spend no gas driving to and from work. So this is an awesome option for her to maintain a really efficient driving lifestyle while upgrading to a new vehicle with a ton of features. Hers is a titanium package, so it's got every bell and whistle conceivable, and she's super happy with it. I'm super happy with it, and I'm honestly looking forward to driving it, which I still haven't done yet. So that is why we are coming to you on Friday. So let's jump right in to the news. Thirteen companies, including Toyota, BMW, Daimler, Honda, Hyundai, and oil companies Royal Dutch Shell and Total, have announced a new fuel cell council. They are apparently going to get together and invest about $10 billion in fuel cell research, development, and policy consulting that uh, should result in an advancement of the fuel cell industry. I've been saying for a while that fuel cells have a really bright future, and I know that a lot of people say that, no, EVs are the future, fuel cells are dumb, and capacitors are going to beat them out any time, but we really haven't seen any progress from capacitors. And fuel cells, I mean, you have the uh, uh, Mirai, you have a couple other fuel cell vehicles that have proven themselves as capable vehicles on the street. All that's missing is the infrastructure, and I think that this partnership is going to do a lot to that. Uh, Fuel cells are faster than refuel than electricity. They have a longer range. At this point, fuel cells look like the real solution for big rigs and other vehicles, so I, I think it's really awesome that they're finally getting together and forming something positive. I mean, with the Germans and Japanese cooperating so closely... We should probably come up with some sort of name for this group other than, like, Fuel Cell Council. Something maybe like the Axis of EV? Let's think on it. I mean, we've got more World War II jokes to come, so just stay tuned. Our next story, and this is so dumb, but Apple has been sued for not preventing drivers from texting and driving. Now, this potential class action suit was brought, uh, was filed in California, which, of course, it was filed in California, but there's actually one filed in Texas last year, and that case was recommended for dismissal really early on because, of course, ca- Apple isn't liable for what people do with their phones behind the wheel. You know, that's just like suing Toyota for making boring cars that put me to sleep or suing Wu-Tang Clan for making music that I play too loud and damage my ears. But, I mean, there this is a serious issue. There were 3,400 distracted driving deaths in 2015, which is the last year we have records for. So clearly something needs to be done about it. But I don't think the answer is suing Apple for doing this, you know. I guess they figure it's like trying to squeeze blood from a stone, suing the individual people who text and drive and cause accidents. So they're going after this big, powerful company that has a ton of money. 
which I understand from a financial point of view, but from a liability standpoint, just seems really unfair on Apple. Moving on, uh, Checker, which uh, they're the original manufacturer of those marathon cabs, kind of the ubiquitous yellow New York taxis that you see in all the movies. I think Kevin McAllister rode in one in uh, Home Alone 2 in Lost in New York, uh, where our famous president helped him uh, obviously defeat the bad guys. Uh, he was you know, critical to that. Um, they have announced that they're going to produce new cars. They're taking advantage of the Low Volume uh, Vehicle Manufacturers Act, and they're going to build two models, a two-door pickup version of its classic sedan, which will be called the Sport Pickup Crossover, or uh, the new El Camino, probably, uh, and a six-door 12-passenger version, which is similar to the old Aerobus hauler, which I'm sure you remember. Um, they said they'll make about 200 per year, but that they will only restrict sales to people who have handlebar mustaches, skinny jeans, and constantly say, you know, I was born in the wrong decade. So we'll see how that goes for them. Speaking of the president helping out people in need, uh, he is going to help America straight out of NAFTA, which, according to a Center for Automotive Research study, uh, a 35% tariff would skyrocket costs and lead to assembly and parts manufacturing job losses of up to 3,100 jobs. Now, making small cars in the U.S. could add 22,000 jobs, but that would mean a $6.5 billion cost, billion with a B, to manufacturers. And the, for small cars, the margins just aren't there. There's a reason... Small cars started being produced in Mexico anyway, you know. They have to keep them cheap for consumers, but cars are expensive to make. I mean, suppliers also sent $42 billion in parts to uh, Canada and Mexico last year, which would also be affected by a NAFTA exit. Well, NAFTA is really working out for us, but Trump's dead set on rapidly eroding anything good for us, so I think he'll probably also wind up exiting SNAFTA, which of course is the Snapple free trade agreement, which would cost us jobs, but definitely deprive us of the best stuff on earth. So, I mean, get out there, spread the word, don't exit NAFTA, don't exit SNAFTA, start that trending. Meanwhile, though, the Germans are calling Trump's bluff, and BMW have said that they will not reverse their billion-dollar plan to expand plants in Mexico. Um, although they say they take his comments seriously, they're going to wait and see what the administration is going to do, because obviously Trump isn't the only one making these decisions, and he needs approval from Congress to make any uh, arrangements that affect trade with other countries. And I think this is a smart play by the Germans, because many of those people in Congress don't agree with uh, Trump's bluster. So, I mean, Germans are used to ignoring U.S. propaganda, and they are still able to thrive until, obviously, a cold Russian winter will halt their progress. But uh, we'll see what happens. Finally, a Tesla announced this week that their superchargers will not be free to new buyers of their Model S and Model X and potentially buyers of their Model 3, which is bad news for all you one percenters out there driving around your Model S's. You know, it's just going to be so hard not doing insanity mode from stoplight to stoplight with the promise of free energy to back you up when you have thoroughly beaten every other civic on the street. It's just going to be so terrible for you guys. I really feel for you. I mean, fortunately, 
the energy is still going to be super cheap. And the report said it's going to cost something like $120 to drive all the way from L.A. to New York, which is less than any plane ticket, less than gas. Uh, apparently, they're charging at uh, standard utility kilowatt hour rates, which is, I think, somewhere between 7 and $0.10 cents a kilowatt hour. So, I mean, it's sad, but not like Trump's tweets. Sad, sad. Now for some news on new cars. Uh, we wrapped up the Detroit Auto Show last week and uh, have a couple updates on cars there, but we'll start out with uh, Lotus boss Jean-Marc Gales uh, believes there's a gap in the market for what he calls a lightweight, good-handling SUV, something he says would be nice to add to the lineup. And to which I respond, what lineup? I mean, you have the Elise and the Exige, which are basically the same car. You have a bunch of models that you've paraded out at as concepts over the years, but you really don't have even the Evora, I think, on sale anymore. So I'm not sure what lineup you're referring to, but it sounds like uh, <laughs> you really don't have a plan for how you're going to move forward, and you're just trying to tap into current industry trends. They say that they're going to partner with Chinese engineering company Gold Star Heavy Industrial, uh, because obviously nothing sounds better than a British-designed car made in China. Now, they said this is supposed to be a competitor of the Porsche Macan, which I have maybe seen two of out on the road. And, I mean, I drive a lot, so this would probably give you an idea of what type of market there is out there for a potential compact Lotus SUV. I mean, I see Cayennes all the time, but the Macans, I guess, just aren't selling because people want something larger if they have that much money to spend on an SUV, which they should really be spending on a car but because they don't need the SUV, but that's beside the point. This, this fits right in line with what Lotus founder Colin Chapman said, which was, of course, simplify and add everything that Porsche has going for it, but make it less reliable in smaller volumes and associated with a brand nobody's ever heard of. So that's perfect. Uh, meanwhile, Jaguar are testing a smaller E-Pace because, of course they are. Uh, small crossovers are everything to everybody nowadays. And I actually saw an E-Pace uh, this afternoon, which is an amazingly beautiful-looking SUV for an SUV. Um, and it's attractive. It, it's fast. It's selling like crazy. And, I mean, Jag has the most incentive to go all-electric because fewer parts mean fewer breakdowns. And if there's one thing Jags are known for, it's breaking down. So I think what we're going to see is Jag going more all-electric. If they do it with smaller SUVs to get the technology out there, that's fine. But I think they're going to have to evaluate their branding at some point. Because I think Jag's leaping cat as their logo, it's reflected really in the growling exhaust of like the F-Type R and the, the XKR. But with like the whine of electric motors, I think we're probably going to have to look at replacing that leaping cat with maybe a small child who didn't get home from piano lessons in time for the ice cream truck. You know, something really whiny uh, to get the point across. But we'll see. You know, that's up to you, Jack. I'm just I'm just I'm spitballing here. Also, after Detroit, on a Tuesday, Ford unveiled a facelift for the 2018 Mustang, which, I mean, come on, guys, it's more like a face drop, am I right? Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, the current Mustang is one of the best-looking Mustangs, in my opinion, I think in a lot of people's opinion, in a long time. 
and the 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 modifications they made to it just I mean, I ruined some of the aggressive angles and the the really uh, you know mean sort of menacing look in favor of more like droopy eyed sloping kind of lumpy space princess not good you know type of car and I, I think they've kind of shit the bed here. I mean, maybe the Mustang looks sad because it just found out it's going to be a hybrid too. And that's like finding out you have to share a bed with Fuller McAllister, who everyone knows wets the bed if he has anything to drink. So, you know, maybe feel bad for the Mustang, because it's been hard done by this facelift droop. Jeep, meanwhile, have revisited the Wagoneer a little bit. You may recall that I just absolutely lambasted it last week for its ridiculous pricing. Uh, we've since found out that it is going to be a body-on-frame vehicle based on the Ram 1500 platform and is going to start competing with the Chevy Tahoe, which is a far cry and a serious walk back from competing with Range Rovers. Um, and in September, they originally proposed the price tag as being about 140000 which is even higher than a Range Rover. So in the course of one week... We've gone from targeting Range Rovers and Porsche Cayennes to targeting rental lots, which I think is a, a, a much more realistic goal. But, I mean, great job, Chrysler. You clearly have your shit together and were absolutely, totally worth the bailout. Excellent job there. In other news that we got wrong, uh, the Bronco has been clarified a little bit. So... It's not going to be necessarily such a competitor for the Forerunner, like we mentioned, Then it will actually be going after the Wrangler. Uh, it won't be quite an Everest, but it will be based on the Global Ranger platform, which the Everest is actually based on. So it will kind of be an Everest, but not the same body style. It won't be derived from that. Um, we will get a ridiculous-sounding air roof, which apparently is comprised of six panels that you can remove and place in the trunk and will allow for a more open feel like a Wrangler. All new Broncos will also apparently come with a air guitar, which won't be as real as the mullets worn by all of the buyers of the new Bronco. And that is it for all the new car news. In obituaries this week, we don't have any automotive obituaries, but we do have sort of an authentically sad obituary, which is, uh, of course, Top Gear Dog, who passed away this week after living to age 11 with Richard Hammond, uh, with whom the dog lived after season eight, where it was introduced as sort of a companion to try to spice things up in a series that uh, was sort of uh, indicative of the... Uh, trio's uh, stagnating creativity throughout the series. Um, I think that 11 is a, a pretty decent lifespan for uh, a large Labradoodle, um, but I'm sure it was shortened by the lovely caravanning trip that um, poor Top Gear Dog had to endure with Richard, James, and Jeremy. So uh, rest in peace, Top Gear Dog. Now, though, it is time for our deep dive segment. <laughs> The 
this week I want to talk to you about Dieselgate. Now, we've known for a while about Volkswagen's so-called defeat device that was used to circumvent emissions testing and allow their cars to pollute as much as 40 times the legal limit of the carcinogen nitric oxide. What we didn't know until this week was how very deep the scandal went within Volkswagen, and in fact that VW may not have been the only company getting away with possibly literal murder. Uh, on the VW side, apparently the defeat device was conceived in 2007 as a way to try to get VW's global diesel cars in the hands of American consumers, who have long been diesel skeptics, and apparently rightly so. The deception was well known throughout the engineering hierarchy, and despite some raising ethical questions, the cheating was allowed to continue unabated. When technical questions arose in 2012, mainly because apparently the software may have been causing some hardware issues by remaining in testing mode outside of the testing environment, engineers responsible for the cheat illustrated with careful documentation the operation of the defeat device and were advised to continue using it and to destroy all documents they created to explain it. When independent testing at West Virginia University's Center for Alternative Fuels, Engines, and Emissions revealed the cheat, the mantra, lie, 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 continued until someone spilled the beans and used the C word, which, of course, in this case is cheat then you'd think it was a Hitler-Jugend book-burning based on how quickly Volkswagen got around to destroying their evidence. Last week, the U.S. Department of Justice announced a $4.3 billion fine and arrested six VW executives connected to the defeat device. This follows last year's EPA's settlement and brings the total amount due to $14.7 billion for the excessive diesel emission scandal, which is the highest ever paid by a company for violations under the Clean Air Act. Executive Oliver Schmidt, meanwhile, faces up to 169 years in prison for lying to regulators while others have been told not to leave the country. 169 years! Meanwhile, we're getting Dieselgate Part 2 on this side of the pond with the revelation that 100,000 Jeeps and Rams equipped with V6 diesels may also have been programmed to perform differently under testing conditions. The EPA has identified eight sensors or devices uh, used by the engines that may cause the car to lower its emissions under conditions that would not be normal to drive in, like, for instance when a car is up on rollers, being tested for how much nitric oxide it emits. Fiat Chrysler and the EPA are now kicking dirt at one another, arguing about the minutiae of the EPA's testing language and the procedures, and arguing that the engines meet all regulations and perform differently to suit different driving conditions, which, yes, is what modern engines should do. What they should not do, however, is raise emissions beyond acceptable levels while driving under any condition, which I think is where the hang-up with the EPA lies. It's still all up in the air which, uh, in terms of how bad it's going to get for Chrysler, but we probably have not seen the end of it. And as if that wasn't enough, word came out this week that Renault, uh, the French car maker, is also being investigated for cheating on their diesel emission tests. Nothing else has been announced other than that this investigation is happening, but it brings up the larger question, why are we still using diesel? 
What began as a valid quest to get more miles per gallon out of a car has spiraled rapidly into a succession of scandals that lay bare the truth that there never was such a thing as clean diesel, much as there's no such thing as clean coal. With hybrid or electric options now among the choices at almost every car manufacturer, not to mention Ford's EcoBoost or Mazda's Skyactiv engines, we're now extracting as much power and efficiency from petrol gas engines as we ever have from diesel, and without the incredibly harmful emissions. Uh, now, we still have a long way to go before huge capacitors or nationwide hydrogen refueling infrastructure system allow big rigs to dump the diesel, but for passenger cars, diesel motors simply no longer make sense and can absolutely not be trusted by buyers. These car makers are the ones producing high-efficiency petrol gas engines. They're the same ones deciding that diesel engines can't be made clean or efficient, so they start cheating. Part of the onus here is on us, the consumers, to stop buying diesels and to send a message to manufacturers that yes, we do want efficiency, but no, we aren't willing to put up with your cheating to get it. And that's the end of your deep dive section this week. Uh, for advice, again, since I only have maybe two listeners, no questions have come up, so no advice section. So we will instead kick it over to our partner, the Post-Truth Channel News, PTC News. Hello and welcome to PTC News. Mercedes-Benz bashfully came forward this week and announced that they too had been guilty of circumventing diesel testing regulations. The advanced nitric oxide absorption technology used in Bluetech diesel engines from Mercedes cars was actually just a series of dead ferrets assembled in a chain to soak up harmful exhaust gases before they entered the atmosphere. Ferrets were replaced on regular service intervals, but the company warned that vehicles which were not serviced on the regular A and B schedules could be guilty of seeping exhaust gases at a higher rate than federally mandated. Mercedes apologized for the gaffe in an attempt to avoid a fine or prosecution and vowed to raise its standards, proposing a move to larger dead animals, including marmots, badgers, and groundhogs, to ensure vehicles driven past service intervals would no longer be exceeding emissions. Morgan Cars, not to be outdone by fellow tiny British manufacturer Lotus, announced this week their intent to produce a compact crossover vehicle to enter the increasingly competitive market. True to Morgan's history, the car will be built on an old wooden frame, and in order to achieve desired ride height of most modern consumers, would utilise stilts like those used to elevate houses above swamps in the Florida Everglades. When asked why the company would forgo more modern technology and engineering partnerships with other automotive firms, Morgan representative Clive Konigsford had the following to say. Well, we reckon there's enough saps out there buying them Nissan Jukes and Kia's and junk that why not have a go, right? That is all from PTC News. Back to your regularly scheduled program. Thanks to our broadcast partner, PTC News, for that update and fake news. Uh, we'll close out this week with our call to action. Last week in my neck of the woods, we were absolutely paralyzed with fear that the great ice storm of 2017 was going to come in with a fury, knocking out power, creating treacherous conditions, and generally making life miserable. 
What we ended up getting, however, was mildly cold weather and some wet but not especially dangerous roads and a whole bunch of leftover eggs, bread, and milk. This weekend, however, is shaping up to be much nicer with a forecast for 60 for tomorrow, Saturday, which is great top-down or motorbiking weather. Even if it's not going to be quite as peachy where you are, try to get out a bit and remind yourself that even in this dreary season of ugly gray weather, freezing precipitation, and depressing inaugurations, you can still go out and have some fun. So go on, get out there. And with that, uh, thank you, all two of you listeners, for listening. And thanks to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song, Basement Floor, which I think describes a lot of our collective morale this week. Um, I will leave you with the sweet sound of the Ferrari 412T1, a V12 Formula One car that absolutely sings. Just listen to how high this motor winds up before Nicola Larini shifts during testing in 1994. Here, friends, is your moment of zen. <laughs>